0: Good morning. Wonderful to see you. We have a modern day. Elijah with us here this morning. Everybody, welcome Carl Little. Carl Little. Carl, you've probably been coming to Grace since almost our first year into it, weren't you? I was a year old. You go way, way, way back. So I know a little bit of Carl's story and his history, and so when we we're thinking about Elijah and the steps that Elijah took, and you know what, the steps we're going to talk about today doesn't mean this is the steps for absolutely, absolutely everybody towards full contact living, but I would have to say it is very common in the Bible, and we're going to see Carl's path kind of mirrors it, so that's why we're calling him a modern-day Elijah. So, uh, Carl, here's, here's the thing. I think it was about five years ago, right? Uh, You were doing well at your job things were going things were going great Uh, You're getting ready for a substantial raise too, but god stepped in and there was a change you So tell us a little bit how that happened How did you make this decision to do something different and then the aftermath of that a little bit? We'll talk about
1: okay. Yeah, John's right like four and a half years ago uh, I was working a job that I was pretty good at and I was about to get a pretty hefty raise So that sounds like a pretty sweet deal Uh, only thing is um I knew I didn't belong there. Uh, The job was killing my spirit and I'd been talking to some friends and I was reading in some books and uh, that you shouldn't be afraid to leave what you know you hate to pursue what you might love. So and then John preached a sermon actually one Sunday and said the exact same thing and that was the last straw that let me know that I had to leave that job and, and, so that's,
0: and that scared me to death because Carl called me and said, okay, that's it. <laughs> that was the last straw. I'm leaving my job. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm launching out. So please continue the story. But I'll never forget that phone call that you made to me. So
1: exactly. So, <laughs> and so I, um, I basically let my boss know that uh, I was leaving and I, let, uh, I was working part-time at the Washington Post. And I let uh, my boss know there that, hey, you know, I left my full-time gig um, and I've got, you know, this is my only way to support myself, so please, you know, throw me some work. And he said he would, uh, but I wasn't getting a whole lot. So John talked about the ravens coming uh, to Elijah and feeding him the scraps. And literally, I was getting by for a period of about a year on the pieces of work that my boss was, was giving me. And I was like, no, this, this can't do. So I ended up having to find another job. And um, I went to a weekly out in um, northern Virginia for a while, for about eight months. And um, and after about eight months, they noticed me uh, at the post, and they, took a, they were noticing my work, and they said, okay, we want you to come back. So
0: here's, here's a big reason why I wanted Carl to share. You know, when God calls you to full contact living, that doesn't always mean that you're going to confront some Baal-worshipping, demon-worshipping king, right? It could mean that God says, you know what? For you to really live for me, you're going to have to quit a job where they're getting ready to give you a raise and you're going to have to pursue this thing because I give you gifts and talents to do something totally different. And you go, and Carl, there's a lot of excitement surrounding that, right? Probably had a lot of excitement thinking that, woo, got, you know, right? And then all of a sudden, here comes the ravens. Right? And not the Baltimore ravens, but the ravens (laughs) feeding piece by piece by piece. That is a tough place to be. So where are you now? That's about five years ago. You spent... That's, that's like Cherith, right? We talked about that last week, Cherith being fed up. So where are you now? Where you, where, what's going on?
1: I just wanted to back up a little bit and say there was a lot of excitement about it. Um, I had met one of my writing uh, heroes, who was Tony Kornheiser, and um, I just felt like I was on the fast track to be the next Tony Kornheiser or Rick Riley or anybody who follows sports writers.
0: And he made a phone call for you when you met him.
1: He did. He was the one who uh, got me an interview at the Washington Post and um, kind of got me through the door. Um, so I thought, man, I was going to be fast tracking and everything was going to be great. And I took a 40% pay cut, uh, from the original job I had to pursue the job at the post. And times were really lean, tightening the belt a lot, you know, making choices at the grocery store about what I was going to buy and what I wasn't going to buy. I noticed you lost some weight. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, having to move out of the apartment that I was in because I couldn't afford it any longer. And, um, there were quite a few other things, you know, not going to the dry cleaners, like mundane, simple things that I had yeah. to cut out that I was able to do before that I wasn't doing now. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
0: And where where are you now? Where are you in the process? Where are you, Elijah, and the whole process?
1: Um, you said that Zarephath means the, the furnace. The
0: furnace. The, the refining. Fire. Into I the fire. F-
1: I feel like I'm in the fire right now. You know, a lot of good things happened at the Washington Post. You know, I made the A front, like the very front page of the Washington Post. I've been on the uh, front of the sports page a bunch of times, and I've had a lot of good stories. So there's a lot of good stuff that happened, but there's also a lot of, a lot of trying, a lot of, you know, being being purified and tested. And I'm looking for that next gig. You know, I feel like God, just the way he was telling me a few years ago, it was time to leave the first job. I feel that sort of yearning right now that it's time to move on. So I wouldn't say that I'm on the other side, but I'm sort of in the fire being, yeah. being purified.
0: Yeah. So we wanted to share this with you because we want you to know that full contact living comes in many shapes and many different sizes, that God speaks to us in different ways and leads us. And how is God speaking to you? Because God is speaking. God wants every single one of us to live a full, rich life. How is God speaking? What does that look like for you? So let's pray. We'll pray for the, for the service here today. We'll pray for you, pray for my brother Carl, and just uh, look for what God's going to do in all of our lives. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Carl. We thank you, God, for the journey he's on. We thank you, Lord, that uh, he stepped up to the plate and he swung the bat. And uh, he took the risk. And that was bold. That was daring. And we talked about that last week. God, we pray that you would continue to give him strength to make it all the way through. Through Cherith, through Zarephath, all the way up to Mount Carmel. God, we pray that you would just bless him in amazing ways. And Lord, for all of us here in this room, each one of us, has our own situation, God, where you are saying, okay, it's time to swing the bat. It's time to make a decision. It's time to really live. And, you know, the TV tells us live in a certain way. Our friends tell us to live in a certain way. But, God, you tell us. You've got something to say to us about the way to really live. And sometimes it involves going into the furnace. And sometimes it involves being fed by ravens. But Lord, at the end of that journey, we will have really lived. Help us, God, in Christ's name. Amen. How about a round of applause from a, my brother, Carl? Thank you. Put it right there on Ryan's stand. There. Thank you, my good. Okay, uh, there's the outline on the back of that blue bulletin. Let's uh, just jump right into this here this morning. Let's talk about what's going on with Elijah. If you'll give me just a second, I'd like to do a quick review of what's going on with his life and some meanings so john 10 10 very important verse of what we're talking about full contact living jesus christ says what i have come that you might have life and have it how how much life to the full abundantly overflowing life this is what this is what jesus says that's my purpose and so if we're not experiencing that then something's wrong what, what does it mean to have full contact life? What does it mean to live this abundant life? People say these things like, I want to really live. I want my life to count for something. I want there to be meaning. And I want there to be purpose for my life. I want to be in the bullseye of God's will. People talk about that. That's what full contact living is. It's meaning living life with a purpose. Living with a meaning. It counts for something. We're in the center of God's will. So here's... Three important things that we talked about as a review from last week. Step number one was the name Elijah. What does the name Elijah mean? The Lord is my God. This whole process towards full contact living in the name of God, in the eyes of God, biblically speaking, means to make the Lord your God, to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And that's completely different from salvation, isn't it? Hmm? We can say, Jesus saved my soul all day long, but be the Lord of my life. Whatever you want to do with my life, you say, jump, I say, how high? This is what we're talking about. And Elijah means the Lord is my God. Now, check it out. Step number two, cherith. What does cherith mean? It's the first place God sends. It means to cut down. He has his pride cut down. His pride is cut down. Elijah, everybody, is a mountain man. He's from the, an obscure little area in Israel, Gilead. He's from these mountains. He's a rough and tumble mountain guy. He's tough as nails. He eats nails. This is who this guy is. Do you understand what I'm talking about? This would have, and so God says, Go talk to Ahab. He's like, Yes, it was a risk, but he likes risks, he likes being daring. He likes getting up in the king's face and screaming at him and spitting in his face a little bit and say, you demon-worshiping king, it will not rain here. He likes that. What happens next? I want you to go hide yourself in Cherith. Hide. I don't hide from Nobody. Do do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't hide from nobody. You're telling me to hide? This cut his pride down. I want you to hide at this little brook in this nowhere place called Cher. They cut his pride down. Step number three. Zarephath means the furnace. What happens at Zarephath? The furnace. What happens in a furnace? What happens when you're over top of fire? You get refined. All the impurities are kind of burned out of your life. You get refined. And that's exactly what happens to Elijah. Why in the world, everybody, did God take him to Zarephath? God clearly says, I want you to go to... Why? He could have gone to a million places right there in Israel, but he goes a hundred miles away from where he is to Sidon region to Zarephath. Well, what do we know about that area? Here's what we know. Who brought Baal worship to Israel? Who brought it? Anybody know? Talked about this last week. Who can remember? jezebel jezebel did who is from sidon jezebel is whose father is king of sidon and a priest of baal worship jezebel he's going into the heart of baal worship now why in the world everybody would he walk a hundred miles through a desert when there's a famine and there's no water and there's dead carcasses of animals all over the place and he's dying of thirst, that God sends him across a hot desert that hadn't been a cloud in the sky in forever. God sends him a 100-mile trek all the way to Zarephath. Why would God do that? To send him to the heart of Baal worship. Because at Cherith his pride is cut down, but in Zarephath his prejudice is cut down. And God is not okay with prejudice. It is smacked right in the mouth. What was Elijah, this rough and tumble, no-nonsense guy, committed to? He was committed to ridding the entire planet of anybody who would worship anything other than God. So this demon god, Baal worship, we're going to cut it out, and anybody who follows him, we're going to smack you right in the face. This is who he is. And so God says, okay, we're going to take you to Zarephath, and I want you To minister, I want you to learn to love a single mom who more than likely is a Baal worshiper. And I want you to care for her and I want you to care for her son. Now, come on now. Are you serious? I'm trying to rid the planet of these people. You're going to see next week that he slaughters with a sword 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. I'm here to kill them. You want me to come over here and love on this woman? This single mom and the son, you want me to care? He learns in Zarephath to see people as God sees people. He learns to love people as God loves people. His life is changed at Zarephath. He is refined. He realizes what I'm doing. I'm just not out here doing something, Ridden the planet of people who are worshiping demons. He realizes everything I do has a special meaning and a special purpose in the eyes of God. I'm just not going through the motions. This is what he learns. Now, can I take a quick time out? Greatest thing that God ever called Joseph to Joseph of Mary, Jesus, and Joseph fame. Greatest thing that God called him to do was what? Who can tell me what's the greatest thing that God ever called Joseph to do? Speak it out. I can't hear you. Yell it louder. Excuse me? Not to let Mary go. To do what to Mary? To marry Mary. To marry Mary. Marry her. Single mom. Mary was a single mom. Right? Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, was a single mom. I said this a few weeks ago, and I thought that was it when I said it that Tuesday night a few weeks ago at our Tuesday night Bible study. But man, somebody asked me about this past week, so I'm going to say it again real quick here. Here's the thing. Greatest thing God had called. There are some Christian men who will listen to this on the internet or who listen to this right now, and God's calling you to marry a single Christian mom and to care for her and love her and love on that child. For Joseph, it's the greatest thing God called him to do. And for some of you guys, you need to step up the plate and need to do that care for and love great thing god calls elijah to love not to marry but to care for this Baal worshiping single mom i think it's fascinating he is refined at zarephath now i just got three points for you today steps four five and six they're all questions what keeps you from solitude with god what keeps you? You're busy. You got too much going on, don't you? What keeps you from solitude with God? What keeps you from quiet time? Do you know what Cherith is? And not much going on at Cherith. There's not much going on at Cherith. There's nobody there. You're knocking on the door of the homes and nobody is there. The lights are all out in Cherith. There's nobody there there. God takes him from the palace and all the activity of the palace. He says, I'm going to remove you to a very quiet place and hide you there for a while. Why? To have solitude with God. It's very clear as you read the story of Elijah that he had a very close, personal, and deep relationship with God, had a great friendship with God. And where was that learned? You know, if somebody was to ask me, hey, John, after 25 years of marriage, after 25, it's hard to believe I've been married 25 years, right? And I look so young. Uh, 25 years of marriage what would you tell me is the quickest the most effective the most efficient way to getting on the same page and getting in sync with your wife what's the quickest way to do it my answer is easy it's a, this is a layup answer this is the easiest thing i ever know you know what the answer is quality quiet time quality quiet time that's it period end of story remove the distractions. Remove the noise, remove the busyness, remove everything else, forget the movies, forget going out to eat at a busy restaurant, forget the friends, forget everything, look each other in the eye, hang out and get totally quiet without any distractions. Don't have blaring music going on, don't have all these activities, cancel everything on your schedule and just look at each other in the face and get quiet. That, my friends, has always been the quickest way to have a great relationship with somebody so elijah goes solitude totally alone quits the busyness that's what elijah does what is keeping you from quiet quality time with god what is keeping you from solitude with god how do you get rid of all the distractions so what do we read about jesus jesus often withdrew himself to what places anybody know the word what kind of places quiet places with god with the father to be alone, without the distractions. You look at Solomon. Solomon, who had so much... If anybody had full contact living, it had to be Solomon. The world was right in his hands. Ecclesiastes 1, 2 says this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is what you learn about Solomon. He says, you know what? I busied myself with a number of things. And then he lists them for us. He said, I busied myself with pleasure. Anything that would make me happy, entertainment. I busied myself with entertainment. I busied myself with knowledge, and then I tried money, and I had a lot of it. I tried that. I tried work. I tried achievement. I tried success, and I tried women. You would have thought that would have done it, but none of that none of that did it. He was busy, busy, busy as he could be, and when he ends up, he says his life is completely empty. Everybody's Solomon was the envy of the world. Other. Kings and queens came to visit Solomon because he was the envy of the world. He was a rock star. He had it all. He was handsome because his mom was Bathsheba. And she was a knockout because she just brought King David to his knees with her beauty right so he was handsome he was ultra rich he was very smart people come all over listen to how smart he was he was healthy he had a ton of women a thousand wives he had fame you know what people say today what rock stars and stuff say about you know i just hate it that we got the paparazzi trailing us all the time if i could do something about them if i could still have my privacy well here's the thing about being king everybody you get to do anything you want so when you see a paparazzi taking a picture you just say kill him End of story. So there's no problem with that. So it's like you take all the rock star stuff that you exist today, and then you eliminate the little stuff that right goes with it. He had it all, and he says, my life is empty. Now, let's compare Solomon and all his wealth and all of his busyness. All of his busyness. And let's compare him to Elijah over here sitting by the brook. This guy over here, Elijah, experiences full contact life. This guy over here is as busy as can be, busy as can be. Emptiness. He gets to the end of the book Ecclesiastes and he says, you know what I realized? It's really about a relationship with God. What is keeping you from solitude with God? We need to spend regular times at Cherith. We need to get ourselves to Cherith. If you can't get there, you pray, God, you say, God, whatever it takes, you put me in Cherith. Now watch out because Cherith is coming like a freight train. It's coming. You pray that prayer. Take me to Cherith, God. I can't seem to find the time I'm on. I'm just too busy. It's too much to do. I've got too many friends. I've got too many commitments at work. I've got too much stuff going on. Oh, God, take me to Cherith. Here you go. He'll lay you up somewhere. He'll do something with you. So it's better that you put yourself in Cherith. <laughs> Step number five. What is above God? Let's just read this passage here. What is above God? I'm going to read uh, 1 Kings 17, verses 13 to 16 so he goes to zarephath right elijah's in zarephath and god says i'm going to take care of you with this uh with this widow this lady here she's going to supply for your needs so he's been supplied by the ravens and now by this unlikely source of this widow this is crazy and so elijah meets her and he says to her this in verse number six elijah said to her don't be afraid right because she just why is he saying don't be afraid he's saying don't be afraid because she has just told him he said you know i need you to make me something to eat and he's just met her and she said, <laughs> make you something to eat. I'm here gathering sticks to make a fire because there's just enough flour and just enough oil in the pot. I'm going to eat it. My last meal and my son and I are going to die. Welcome your new supplier of food, Elijah. You're going to eat it and die. That's it. And here's what he says back to her. Check this out. This is wild. Talking about being bold and daring. He says, Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, first, everybody. Make me a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. So me first, you next. Make a a bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord, had spoken to Elijah. What is God saying here? He's saying, put me first. Honor me above all else. First Samuel 2.30 says those words very clearly. Those who honor me, I will honor. What does it look like, Everybody to have God above everything else well if you're looking at this story what it looks like here it looks a lot like trust and obey who remembers the old hymn? trust and obey for there's no other way We've got a couple hands here sometimes I sing that to my wife trust and obey there's no other way <laughs> to be happy with Krista, but trust and obey I will pay severely for that later but just I wanted you to remember this point, okay? So I'll take the lashes so you can remember the point. Trust and obey. It looks a lot like trust and obey. That's what it means. When God is above all else, you trust and obey. When something else supersedes God, what does it look like? It looks a lot like excuses. You know what, Elijah? I'd like to make you a piece of cake, but I just can't. Because there's really not enough in there for you and for me, and for my son. So I'm sorry I can't do it. God, I'd like to take time to pray. I'd like to take time to go to Cherith and spend solitude with you, but I, mean, I can't because I just, I'm just too busy. I'd like to give, but you know I can't. I just don't have an, I'd like to serve, but I, I can't. I, I'm too busy. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't do it. So when something else is above God, it, it looks like a lot of Excuses. If you're finding yourself making excuses when the Bible challenges us us and calls us to do things, then something else is above God. And that is not a very good place to be at all. For the widow, for the widow, Elijah says, put God first. And she says, okay. The Baal-worshipping single mom says, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. And what God says back is, If you'll put me and you'll honor me above everything else, I'll help you to really live. I'll help you to experience full contact living. All right. Step number six. Final point this morning. Bear with me on this point. Okay. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And what I'm talking about here is I'm at the spiritual arena, everybody. Why do you do spiritual things? Why do you do spiritual practices? Why do you pray? Why do you attend church? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you fast? Why do you take communion? Why do you do anything associated spiritually? Why, my friends, do you do what you do? Elijah was severely refined at Zarephath. And he figured out there's a meaning and there's a purpose behind everything that I do. This is special. His life is changed at Cherith and further changed in a massive way at Zarephath. Why do you do what you do? So I want to give you a lead into the story of what goes on here, and then we're going to read what's on the back of your blue bulletins or what's on the screen behind me. So here's what happens. He stays with the single Baal-worshipping mom for a while and the son. Obviously, he learns to care for them, learns to love them. He's trying to rid the land of Baal-worshippers, but something happens to his heart, and he begins to see them through the eyes of God. And after a while being with him, the son gets sick. The little boy gets sick, and he doesn't get better. And eventually we're told that the breath leaves him like he can't breathe anymore and the boy dies. What, my friends, does the single bail worshiping mom do? She comes to him completely distraught. Her son has died. And what does she say to him? The man of God, the prophet of God. She holds the boy before him in her arms. We're told and says, this is your fault. Blames him. Now, what would the old Elijah do? What would the Elijah do that spits nails, the mountain man that's rough and tough and no nonsense and calls things like it is? What would he do? He would say, serves you right for worshiping Baal. That's what you deserve for worshiping Baal. You're getting yours. That's what he would say. But he didn't say that, does he? You know, something else he doesn't do. We're going to see this in just a second. He doesn't go, okay, let me go to the prophet's manual. And let me open up. And what do I do in special cases when somebody's kid dies? And open up and flee through and say, oh, okay. So I'm supposed to take them and do this in step three and four and five. You know what he does? This is what he does. Verses 19 of chapter 17 says this. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then, check this out everybody, he cried out to the Lord. We're told in the book of James, says the righteous and fervent prayers of a righteous person, the prayers, the fervent prayers of a righteous person avail much. And the very next verse in the book of James starts talking about Elijah. The word fervent means to boil over with intensity. This is the picture that we're given right here. He cries out to God. Look, this means something to him, big time. Oh, Lord, my God, you have brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretches himself out over the boy three times. I mean, he just, he's just distraught. He is undone. He has lost it. He's over top of this boy. Oh, my God, he falls on the boy. And he says he does it again. Three times he does it, and he cries out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And then the third time we see the crying happen here, it says the Lord heard Elijah's cry. Do you think he's passionate about what he's doing? Do you think he's going through a ritual? Do you think he cares for this mom and the child? Now, any chance do you think that he cares about them at all? Has his life changed? And what is he doing, praying, ministering to her? Is he doing it with passion? Is there meaning? Is there purpose behind all that? Why does he do what he do? Or is he just going through something rote? No, it says the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child. He carries him down from the room into the house and he gave him to his mother and he said, and you can only imagine the look on Elijah's face. Look, your son is alive. This is a big moment. This is very special. Your son is alive. Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to church? And why do you pray? And why do you fast? And why do you serve? And why do you give? Why do you take communion? And anything else that you want to add to that list of very important spiritual practices, why do you do what you do? And does it have special meaning? Elijah here is really living because he is really praying. And this guy's life was totally changed by Cherith and Seraphath. Changed him. He learned everything he did has a meaning. Why is he crying here? Why do we see crying out? He cries out twice, and then God says, okay, I heard you cry Why is that? Because he really cared. He really, really cared. This meant something to him. So much of the story, hang with me, I'm almost done. So much of this story of Elijah is all about spiritual apathy. It's all about ritual, and it's all about going through the motions. And what Elijah learned is his life, if it was going to be a full contact life, couldn't have anything to do with empty ritual. Everything had to have significance. Everything had to be attached to a meaning. He learned that God just doesn't randomly, oh, well, this is a nice thing to do. Let's just do this today. (laughs) There wasn't anything like that. So he's up on top, and we're going to see this next week. He's up on top, Mount Carmel, which has tremendous spiritual significance. That is where so much of the ritual of serving God existed is up on Mount Carmel, where the altar was to God, which we'll see next week is all broken down. And he's there before the Israelites because he gathered them all together. And he says to them in 1821, he says, how much longer are you going to waver between two opinions? And then check this out. If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, please, please go follow Baal. How long you were? And then here's the saddest thing. What what happens next? But the people said what? Nothing. That's sad. It's sad that we can walk in and out, in and out of church in our lives with God all the time, without any meaning, without any passion, without any purpose. It's just blase. It's just an empty dead ritual. Empty living ritual. They said, and you're screaming, say something! My gosh, say something! Do something! Just don't sit there. And They sit there. If God, if if your heart is no longer in, this is what God is saying, if your heart is no longer in your important spiritual practices, God is saying to each one of us, please stop doing it. Because you are on a path of empty living what is this all about we're talking about today we're talking about God's path to to full contact life if you're praying and you're giving, and you're serving and you're attending and you're taking communion and you're doing all that and there's no meaning and there's no passion you're just doing it give me that cup of juice boom okay give me the cracker bam praying oh god help us jesus thank you for this food if you can do all of these things and attend church oh you do all this stuff whatever is important to you whatever you think is spiritual to you you can do all that and there's no heart to it there's no passion to it. you know what god says god is screaming from heaven i beg of you to stop you're not doing yourself any good and you're not doing me any good i'd rather you stop i can back it up i didn't write all these verses down for you, you can jot them down if you want to isaiah 113 god says it very clearly isaiah 113 Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Stop it. Meaningless. There's no meaning behind the offering that you're bringing. Please stop. Isaiah 29:13. These people came near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far with their passion. There's no passion in what they do anymore. And I want to time out real, real quick. Okay, but John, you know, I don't always feel all passionate. Like I don't get down on my knees all the time and cry out fervently like Elijah did, right? Either do I. But we're not talking about seasonal seasonal emptiness with, you know, going through the... We're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know what, you're down in a rut spiritually where things don't have a meaning to you and doesn't have a passion to you and your heart's not in it. You're down in a rut. You haven't pitched a tent. You've built a house you got like a four-bedroom, two-bath house down there. This is just the way it is. You're satisfied with it. This, you know what? You do what you do because that's what you've always done. You go to church because that's what you've always done. You pray, you pray before you eat meals because that's what you've always done. You take communion because you've always taken communion. And your grandmother took communion. And her grandmother took communion. And they all took communion. Now, I'm a cultural Christian, and this means something. It means emptiness is exactly what it means unless we see that everything we do is associated... With something very important in the eyes of God, with a covenant that God has before us. Everything has meaning and passion. It can't be empty. It not only affects our lives, but it affects the entire world around us that then looks at the church and looks at followers of Christ and say, What is that? That's That's a load of what? Right? So Elijah realizes, everybody, at Zarephath, where he is refined that everything he did had purpose and passion. Full contact life. If these rituals that you do have no passion and your heart is no longer moved by them, stop participating in them. Because this is not the path to full contact life. What we're interested here in this series is what is the biblical path to full contact life. Second Timothy 3.5, check this out. It says, you have the form of godliness. You have all the rituals, but here comes the but. You're lacking all the power. You're lacking all the power because there's no meaning and no purpose. All right, now, bear with me for a second here as I conclude this, okay? I'm almost done. I want to talk about circumcision for a quick second, can I? You am say, what the heck does circumcision have to do with this? Oh, it has a lot to do with this. In a very bizarre way, it has a lot to do with it. Circumcision, it didn't get more important. Things didn't get more important than circumcision back in the Old New Testament, everybody. As an important spiritual practice, oh, yes. Oh, yes, God instituted circumcision with Abraham. You know how important circumcision was to God as a spiritual practice, just like prayer and communion and all these stuff? Don't you know how important it was when God said to Moses, Moses, you go back to Egypt and you free my people. We are told that he is on his way back and he refused to circumcise his son. And we're told that God puts his hands around Moses' neck and says, I will kill you right now unless you circumcise your son. And Sapporo of his wife takes a knife and whammo, boom. And God takes his hand. I'm trying to say to you, this is really important. This is an vor- important spiritual practice. And people say to you, what is the deal? And you read the Old and New Testament about the circumcision all the time. And so we say, well, it has no meaning. How could something like that have a meaning? Look, look, what, look what it does. not Galatians 5, as important as that is. Now I'm going to flip you to the other side, because Paul says it doesn't have any meaning. Mark my words, Paul. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised... Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, Paul was circumcised. He was participating in a very important spiritual practice. He was praying. He was attending church. He was giving. He was serving. Come on, this is all grouped in an important spiritual practice. This is what it's all about. He said, and he's saying to this group of people here, everybody, this group of people who are promoting nothing but a dead, empty ritual that had no meaning, he says, if you do this thing without meaning or purpose behind it, it is of no value. If you keep going to church and it has no meaning, your passion's not, your heart, not, this, stop it. If you're praying and you're giving, this is what he's trying. I think I've made my point clear. I hope I've made sense of that. And then he goes on to, to let us know he's really into this. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. Gosh, can you say that in the Bible? I wish they would just castrate themselves. He seems to be very, very upset. Why? Why is this? All right, let's take a stab at this. I want you to remember this one thing. You're saying, just in case I've lost you, and that was my fear this morning, that I've completely lost you. There is an important covenant, an important commitment associated with every single spiritual practice we do. I'm going to say that again. There is a covenant a commitment on the part of Almighty God to us, associated with every single important spiritual practice we do. I'm going to highlight that through circumcision in the next moment, and I'm going to show you where it makes sense with everything else that we do. And until we grasp that meaning and the purpose, then it's just all empty and dead. So where does circumcision come in? What is the use of circumcision? Let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 15 is where we'll start. God says, Abraham, through you, I will bless you, and you will multiply greatly. And Abraham says, oh, God... I have no child. How in the world are you going to do that? God says, I promise you, I covenant with you today. Trust me, through your wife, Sarah, you will bear a child. Abraham at the age of 90 or whatever he was. You are going to have kids, I promise you. That's chapter 15. It's huge. It's a massive high point in the entire Bible of God's commitment and covenant to us. Then what does he do in chapter 16? Very next chapter, what happens? Sarah, the wife, brings Hagar, the handmaid, and says, look. This ain't working. Okay? Sleep with her and raise up a child to her. And what does he do? He does it. He does it. Then there's nothing but problems as a result of that. Let's fast forward to the next chapter. Because it's the next chapter then where circumcision comes in. Does it have meaning? Does it have purpose? I don't know. We think, my God, why in the world... Would you choose this part of the body as this important sign? I mean, is it so important? I mean, this is big time. I mean, I don't know in the New Testament church in Galatia. I mean, were they checking guys when they walked in, whether they're spiritual or not? I don't know what's going on. You know what God says to Abraham after his sin with Hagar of not trusting? He says to him, Abraham, look, buddy. I want you to know I love you and I'm going to still raise up a child through you. But I also want you to know something very important. Okay? Which is very important. From this day forward, from this day forward, you will have a visible and a physical sign that if you trust me with your sexuality, if you trust me with your sexuality, I will bless you and give you a full life. Circumcision is all about trust, everybody. It's a visible and a physical sign that I can trust God. It's not a dead, empty ritual. So what is prayer? Prayer is, I pray because God covenants with me that I will hear you. I serve because God gives a covenant me. He says, I will see you. I give because God says, I make a covenant with you that I will bless you. That's my covenant with you. You ever heard some people pray and you're listening and praying and think, my God, I think this person thinks God's listening. There's a difference, isn't there? Isn't there a difference? You ever see some people take communion and you look at say, oh my gosh, I really think they think God's going to save them. You see some people walking to church, my gosh. Why do we go to church? Because God's covenant with us is, I will build you up. Some people walk in church, my gosh, they really think God's going to build them up. Everything we do has purpose and meaning. When you pray, when you give, when you serve, when you attend church, there is a very important covenant associated on that on the part of God. And if you have somehow gotten distant from that and under your understanding, if there's no passion that anymore, here's what I want to ask you to beg God to do this morning. Almighty God, send me to Zarephath. If you are tired of empty ritual living, and some of us in this room, we've been going for years and we're just going through the motions and we're not doing ourselves or God any favors. You know what? Don't sit there this morning silent like the Israelites did on Mount Carmel. My Lord, have mercy. Stand up and say, this is enough. Enough is enough. Either go and follow another way or say, God, I've got to go to Zarephath. Send me there. Refine me in the fire and help me to understand why I do what I do because I'm sick and tired of dead and empty living. I'm ready for some full contact living in my life. Now, we're going to conclude. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray. The prayer team is always over there. My last point is this. God wants you to give give you full contact living. Don't go another day without making the decision that heads you in the path towards it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your patience. I thank you, God, for your covenant that you have with us that every time every single one of us pray, your covenant is, Father, that you'll hear us. When we serve, that you'll see us. God, help us to make correct decisions, each one of us this morning, what we need to do. What do we need to do to put ourselves on a path full contact living. Bless us and help us, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.